You know, the Lord is showing some things today in my heart. And, um, you know, I know we, we measure things interestingly. We measure things by what we can see. We measure things by what we can hear, by what we can taste, by what our senses can tell us what's going on. And I will just say that that's not the way God measures things. You measure things about how your life is going. Are you successful? Are you prosperous? Are you happy? Those are some things that are not real telltale signs of really what the way God is looking at your life with. What God is looking at your life is where is your heart? Are you seeking Him? Are you putting Him first in all things, in your finances, in your relationships, in your job? Where are you putting your intentions? Where are you putting your personality? Where are you putting your identity? Where are you putting your source of who you are? We measure things wrongly in so many ways because we measure things the way the world measures things. I will just say this morning, it was very evident to me as I was worshiping that, you know, the throne room of heaven is not as populated as the gates of hell. The throne room of heaven, there is not as many people in heaven as there are in hell. But that doesn't diminish what's going on in heaven. Do you know the praise in heaven is so pure and so powerful, no matter how many or how few people are there? It has nothing to do with how many people are packing the church out, as is your level of worship, or how valuable God is to you personally. We measure things thinking that if we're not the biggest church, if we're not the happening thing, that, man, God must not be there. Well, let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not look at empty seats and get discouraged. It's very easy to do that. Believe me, I know how easy it is. But I am not going there because I know that God does not measure things the way we see things. There is power in this place. When, do you know why there's power in this place? Not because you're here, but because Jesus is here. Because the Holy Spirit is here. And because we welcome Him here. If the Bible says if two or more are gathered, not 2,000 or more, not a church full or more. He says, if there are two or more gathered in my name, therefore I am with them, and I will do mighty things through those two people. Amen. I'm getting Amen. a little excited here. Thank you, Jesus, because I know there's power in this place. Amen. Do you want power in your life? Can we pray? Can we just intercede? Let's sing this song again, and let's just recognize that there's something going on that we can't see. And we need to get into that mode. We need to get into what we can't see mode and worship Him like it really, really matters because it really, really does matter. Let's sing it again. Let's worship Him. Thank you, Jesus. You are In fact, would you come out of your seat? And let's come down to the front. Let's just get together and let's come closer together and let's just worship Him this morning. Your hidden glory in creation Now reveal in you our Christ What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name 
nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. He didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus We serve a great God, and he really is worthy of all of our praise and all of, his, and all of our worship because he just deserves it all. Amen. This morning, I'm going to preach on a, a topic that is very relevant to today's time, and um, probably over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be bouncing back to this one because there's really much to be talking about this. But I've got to tell you, the Lord is placing this word on my heart, and this word is urgency. Urgency, urgency, urgency. Urgency of what, you might ask? Well, urgency for what is to come and a desire for us to understand the Lord's heart as these come to bear. We are living in perilous times. Now, some would say that this world has been living in perilous times forever and ever. And maybe, yes. I, maybe I can remember my grandparents and my parents saying the same thing. And that's true. It was perilous times. But I got to tell you, it's getting more perilous all the time. The time is not getting easier. In fact, as time gets closer to the end, it's only going to get worse. I will tell you right now, not to discourage you, but to encourage you, because we are on the winning side. And we are going to conquer, and we will, be, we will be celebrating the victory at the very end but it's going to take time to get there. So today I want to start talking about end time events. And I want to start talking about how we can relate to them and how we can fit into them. And where are we at? Now I know that as soon as I say this, this causes some concerns for people. Because we all have our opinions and maybe good, well-grounded opinions when it comes to the rapture and things of this nature. This causes concerns because some of us believe in pre-trib rapture. Some of us believe in mid-trib rapture, tribulation rapture. And some of us believe in post-tribulation rapture. And I can say that we can get so caught up in our discussion about who's right and who's wrong that we miss the rapture. <laughs> that we can get co so caught up in the argument that we don't even see really what's happening around us. So I'm not here today to convince you of one or the other. Some believe that it's not going to even happen. 
Some believe that we've been talking about it forever, so why are we even talking about it now? I'm so tired of hearing about it. Stop talking about this. That's the way some people react to this. Others believe that, they, that it is going to happen, but they have a hard time believing it's going to happen in their lifetime. That, yeah, I believe in the rapture. I believe it's going to happen, but, you know, it's not going to happen while I'm alive. Well, I can ask you for the next few minutes to try to take captive those thoughts and try to have an open mind to what the Lord really is asking us and choose today to listen to what the Lord is saying in His Word and that we would ask Him to give us His wisdom and His direction and how we should appreciate and how we should look forward to the events that are coming. We're going to spend a lot of time today in God's Word because that's where we need to spend time. You don't really care about my opinion, and in all honesty, you shouldn't care about my opinion, but you should care about the, Lord, the Word of the Lord. And so we're going to spend time in God's Word, and we're going to try to get answers from His Word, not my opinion, or not what some other author has written about it, but we're going to spend time in the Word. Now, what I have come to recognize as you all know this, our lives are very short. <laughs> we are but a vapor in relationship to eternity. In fact, I want to read a few passages of Scripture here this morning that would tell us that so that, we, so that we recognize that in the scope of eternity, we really are just but a vapor. James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We have the tendency to think that we are in control of things that we have no control over, and that is time. That I can plan for next week. I can plan for my retirement. I can plan for this, and nothing wrong with planning. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. But just don't think you can control time. Just don't think because you're planning it that it's going to happen. That's what this passage is telling us. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Psalm 144, starting at verse 3. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath. A breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. You know how quickly a breath takes to happen. <gasps> it's over. In the Lord's perspective, you're a breath. You're a fleeting shadow. I'm a fleeting shadow. I, you go outside on a nice August day when you've got the big fluffy clouds and they're racing across the sun and you can actually watch the shadows just race across the ground. Well, that's what our life is like. Our life is a fleeting shadow of time. Psalms chapter 102, verse 11 my days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. How quickly take grass and take it, and how quickly it withers in a heavy sun, in a hot sun. And Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We're, we've been given great counsel in God's word here that we are not the controller of so many things that we think we are. So therefore, what do we do with this? Well, let's get our heart right. Let's get our mind right. Let's get focused in on who is the controller of this. And that controller is Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Are you following with me this morning? Or are you tempted to check out? 
Are you tempted to say, no, Mike, I've got plenty of time and it's a waste of time to be talking about events, events like this. It's a, we shouldn't need to be talking about end time events. In fact, we should be talking more relevant topics, things that are more about my life today and about how I can improve my life and how I can become more prosperous and how I can be happier, how I can be a better parent, how I can do this, how I can do that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good parent and I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy and I'm not saying any of that. But the problem is we come to church sometimes and all we want is that. All we want is to be told how good my life is and how happy I should be. And we forget about the eternal. Well, according to Timothy, there are many people that are choosing to listen to messages that are not really relevant to eternity. They're really relevant. What people are wanting are things that are going to please them in the moment. I want to leave this place happier than I came in. And in my job as a pastor is to make you happy. Well, my job is not a pastor to make you happy. My job is to give you a challenge for Jesus. My, eye, my challenge is to put your eyes on Christ. Let's look at what Paul's challenge was to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through verse 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Boy, that's hard. With great patience and careful instruction. In verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Don't we see that happening today? It's happening all around us today. There are a lot of good Bible teachers out there that are being rejected. There are a lot of good Bible-believing churches out there that are small, that are not really being measuring up maybe to the masses of the other churches. Why? Well, Bigger churches can have a great ministry. I get that. Oh, and I'm, I, I get that. I'm totally about a big church. But I'm not for it for the wrong reasons. I'm there. If we're ministering to people, and if that's bringing people in, then so be it. But, man, if, if it takes an itchy ear to bring people in, I'm not going to do that. And I don't, know, I don't think you want that. I really don't. I think you're here for the right reasons. So let's get back to the message here. We believe that the scriptures that God is giving us are giving us clear direction and clear warning for the day that we live in. Scriptures say that Christ's return is in two stages. There is a stage where Christ comes back to take away the church, the, ta the great taking away or the rapture, and then there is the second coming of Christ where he actually comes down and comes and physically comes to earth. The first stage of his second return is a stage in the clouds and will be visible only to those that are ready to go. The world will not see him. The second stage is different, and we're going to talk about these stages in a minute. But for, for those that believe in the pre-trib rapture, this time period between this first coming, which would be the rapture, and the second coming is going to be approximately seven years if you believe in pre-trib rapture because when Jesus comes back and takes away the church, 
the rapture, or the, I'm sorry, the tribulation begins because that's where he's taken away the spirit, taken away the church. If you're a mid-trib believer, then you have about three and a half years before the second coming happens. And if you're a post-trib believer, they occur at the same time, that the rapture of the church and the second coming comes at the same time. Uh, I have a hard time appreciating that one. Um, I, so again, I'm not here to debate that. But if you believe pre-trib or mid-trib, I'm okay with that uh, because I believe the fact of the matter is there is a time period between these two events. Let's look at Scripture. Let's open your Bible now and let's open, your, let's open to God's Word and let's read um, Matthew chapter 24. So get your Bible out. Let's read it. It's going to take some time. We're reading the whole chapter. We're not just taking bits and pieces. We're not going to just take little quippets and try to make it what we want it to say. Let's read it. Let's read the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24. Do you have your Bible out? Do you bring your Bible? I know we do a thing here. We put all of our passages on the, script, on the, the overhead, which is nice. But if you're not bringing your Bible because we're doing that, then can I tell you that I'm hurting you? You need to bring your Bible so that you can, so that you can put notes in it that you can write down. You can underline things. So bring your Bible. Okay, let's open your Bible and let's read chapter 24. Jesus, beginning at verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, get the moment here. These guys are coming out of a temple service. They're coming, they're walking by. I don't know really the context of where they're coming from, but they're walking and they're looking at the temple, which was a beautiful building, and they're saying, look at Jesus. Look at this beautiful building. And Jesus says, yeah, it's pretty cool, but do you know that it's not going to last forever? Do you know that? That's kind of what the intent was. Okay, now some, more, some time goes past here. We don't know how much. We don't know exactly where, but now we're in, now we're with Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives. So now just... Take yourself out of this church and just pretend you're sitting on a mountainside and Jesus is talking now because the next few words are all about Jesus giving a story, talking to his disciples. And this is his answer, okay? Jesus said, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For, when, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, There he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two, man will be, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a, hand, with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you for how directly you speak to us. Now I pray, Lord, that this time would be open to our hearts, that our hearts would be open to what you're saying and that we would receive your words as truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
We talked about a lot of things there, and we're going to take and dissect this passage over the next few minutes and the next couple weeks, and we're going to try to understand more of what Jesus is describing as to what is going to happen and what is happening right now. First of all, Jesus was answering a question from his disciples that I'm sure they had no idea the impact of their question. As always is the case with God, he always takes the long-term vision and the long-term purpose as more important and more significant than the short-term. Just recognize that God is here and he's not bound by time and he's not limited by time He's not limited by a clock, and he is more concerned about the eternal things than he is about the things that are going to, what you're eating for lunch today. Even though that's important, what you eat for lunch today, he's more concerned about the eternal. And when he answers questions, that's how he answers them. So the disciples, remember, they were enjoying the beauty of the temple. And they were thinking that, man, what a beautiful structure and how permanent it is and how it's always going to be a part of their life. That, that, that beautiful building, and it was, if you ever have seen pictures or renditions of it, you don't see pictures, but renditions of what the temple was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful piece of work. And it looked very permanent. But when Jesus gave them the answer that it was going to be destroyed, it gave them a little heartache, and rightly so. So they were justifiable in their questions. And they said, well, when will that happen? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And the disciples probably thought here they only asked one question. But in reality, they asked multiple questions, at least two, maybe three. But they, didn't, but they asked questions that were uh, op very open-ended, and Jesus took advantage of it. And he answered their questions in a very good way. Jesus knew that, that they were asking a question about the temple, but they were also asking questions about the end of time, which are not related necessarily. The first question was dealing with the immediate concerns of the temporary things, the very temporary conditions of life. That's what they were worried about. What do you mean they're going to be, that's going to be destroyed? What do you mean that that thing that looks so permanent is not going to be here for me tomorrow? What do you mean by that? Good questions. These things are going to pass away. The second question that they were talking about was dealing with the eternal things that are really of utmost importance and should be the things that are given prime attention. So it's not that the temple question wasn't important. It's just that Jesus didn't see it as relevant as the second question they were asking about, well, what's going to be the signs of the end of the time? So Jesus went there. So a couple points I want to bring out here. That number one, the point number one is how easily we get distracted in dealing with the details of the temporary things in life and we lose perspective of the bigger long-term things of eternity. How easy we get distracted by the things that we see, by the things that we measure, by the things that make us feel certain ways. Those are the things that often take our most time and attention. And what God is trying to say is, guys, that's important, I get that but I've got a bigger picture that's so much more important. Will you listen? Will you open up your ears and eyes to hear that and to see that? Maybe we should consider the same things today. Do we allow the temporary things to cloud our minds from really understanding the importance of the eternal? Do you? How often do you think of eternity versus how often do you think of tomorrow or today? 
I'm not saying that today and tomorrow aren't important. Don't misread what I'm saying. But, are they, but is it as important as 100 years from now? If I can't look that, if I can't make that long-term vision my end goal, then I'm going to miss it. I have to keep that long-term vision in place, knowing then that today and tomorrow are going to measure up into that if I keep my perspective right. So let's make a real attempt here to control our priorities so that we don't allow the things of this life that seem so important in the moment to clutter our minds, to keeping us from really truly hearing what the Lord's saying about the eternal things. Luke, uh, the Dr. Luke in his gospel tells us something like this. Luke chapter 21. Chapter 21 at verse 34 and 36. He, Luke says, be careful. Let me just back up. This is in the same context of what Matthew's talking about, talking about the signs of the end of the times. Okay, And this is, Luke interjects this point here. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close in on you like a sudden trap. That day is the return of Christ. It will close in on you like a, suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And then he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So Luke is giving us the good warning. Warning here he says, be careful. Don't let your anxieties of your heart weigh you down. Don't let the distractions of this life get so big that they distract you from really knowing what's important. So today's message and the next few weeks' messages are going to be opening our minds to that. And we're going to be allowing the Lord to give us some wisdom here. Second point that I want to make about Jesus' answer. And this maybe is more of a question. And maybe you have this question as well. But the question is, why doesn't God just come out and tell us very clearly exactly what the times are going to be like and exactly when it's going to happen? Why all the mystery? Why, all this, why, are we, why is it somewhat clouded in Scripture about the end-time events? Why doesn't he just come back and tell you, guys, it's going to happen in 2020, September 21st, 2020? Because God knows when it's going to happen. It's already in God's mind when it's going to happen. So why doesn't he just come out and tell us? Well, Scripture is clearly vague <laughs> and seemingly, seemingly confusing at, at, at times on the exact details of the order of events that are going to happen. Some would say, if God really is concerned about all man coming to faith, then why doesn't he just tell us? Why the secrecy? Why the mystery? Well, one commentary says this. In some cases, the timing or order of events is uncertain, and in other instances, the specific details of signs or events are not completely clear. No doubt, this is the plan of God. As the New Testament writers and Jesus himself we're not trying to reveal all the details about the end times. Their main concern was to challenge God's people to keep watch and to be ready for Christ's coming. For this reason, Jesus' prophecy contains an element of mystery requiring humility, readiness, and a heart focused on the Lord Jesus himself. It's God's plan to keep us in an area of somewhat of a mystery as a way to keep us hungry and to keep us humble for his return. Because if he did tell us it's going to happen September 11th, 2020, what would you be doing today? 
What would you be tempted to doing today? Party down, man, because we got till 2020 to come along, and therefore let's just have fun. That's not, we don't have to work for anything. We don't have to worry about a thing. We don't have to be concerned about our life because we got until 2020, September 11th, but heady, man, about September 8th, 9th, I might get serious about it. Well, let me ask you a question. If that was the way that God ordained it, how much love would that require from your part to make it to the end? How much faith would it require on your part to make it to the end? Uh, probably not a whole lot, would it? We probably would be uh, living it up in the high life, thinking that we've got all the good things to do and we've got all the fun to do and let's get the most out of this world because the next one's coming, but it's not coming for a while. That's one reason, I believe. Another reason, well, let's get to that other reason. But I want to stop here. I want to I hesitate. In fact, we're probably going to end at this point because it's 5 to 12 and and I'll, I'll probably pick this up next week and continue on from here, but we've got other things to talk about. But, but it, let, me just, let me just leave it here. If this is too big of a topic about end-time events, about the rapture, if this is too hard for us to grasp, and maybe you've been struggling with this pre-trib, mid-trib, all the stuff, all, the, all the, the theology behind it all, and maybe you're really struggling with Jesus' return and am I going to be here or not be here. Well, can I just tell you this? It really doesn't matter what you think. It really doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the fact that I have no guarantee how many heartbeats I have left. I have no guarantee if I'm going to have a next breath. We read the passages early. Our life is but a mist, about a vapor. How many people here know of people? in their prime of life that were cut short. How many here know? I mean, it wasn't too long ago I did a funeral for Charlie Burkle, 30 years old. Uh, went to work that day, was a log cutter, went out to the woods to cut wood. Totally healthy, strong young man. Had an accident. A widowmaker fell, hit him in the head, gone in an instant. See, the thing is, the sobering fact is that none of us are guaranteed that we're taking our shoes off tonight. Maybe the coroner is going to. So with that thought right there, even if God said September 20th or September 11th, 2020, I don't have any guarantee that I'm even going to be here. So my rapture could happen at any time. So with that, with that kind of a warning, can we not take seriously what our life should be living for in the moment? Jackie, could you come and just... We're just going to end. We're just going to uh, sing a song. We're just going to um, just abruptly end this message because there's no way to end it right now. I'm not at an ending point, but I am at a point of challenge. I'm at a point of challenge in my life and in your life into why am I here? What is my purpose for being here? Am I truly here for the right reasons? Am I truly living for the things that are going to be eternal? The main concern of Jesus speaking this message on the Mount of Olives and also for all the New Testament writers were not to give us the details, but to give us a hunger, to give us a challenge, to give us a keep watch mentality, knowing that something's going to happen. I don't know exactly when, but I just want to be ready when it does happen. Is that your heart this morning? 
Does, does this make you nervous? Does it make you upset? Does it make you anxious? If it does, good. Because that's the Holy Spirit bringing it up to you and say, hey, I need to take this serious. I need to know where I'm going to end up. Where am I going to be in 100 years from now? Where am I going to be tomorrow? I know where I want to be. And I know where you want to be. But are we living our life that we're going to be there? That we're going to actually be ushering in the new heavens and the new earth when God says it's time to bring it back to earth? Are we really going to be here for the millennial? For the, all that time? Listen, you have the choice. We all have the choice to make it right now. But I can't play the games. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you so much for the way you've been with us all service long. It's so obvious that you love us. It's so obvious that you're trying to call us to a closer walk with Jesus. Lord, open our eyes. Open our hearts to hear and to receive all that you have for us. Lord, help us take this anxiousness or that anxiety that we might feel when we talk about these things as a good indicator that it's time to get ready, that it's time to be urgent. It's time to live a life of urgency because we don't know. But we do know you. We do know that you have control of the future and we are resting in that. So Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we just ask you to be the Lord of our life. And to give us that assurance and that peace as we worship you in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this call. We love you, Jesus. We really do. We surrender our hearts and lives to you, Father. And so if there are things I need to take care of, Lord, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you, Father, to restore this relationship that I have. Lord, that I truly would have that closeness with you, that I would know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that my life is secure in you, that no matter what happens today, I am secure in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I get that through forgiveness of my sins. 
So, Father, I just pray for this whole body right now that our hearts would be in that mindset, that we would be just praying forgiveness and forgiving other people, that we would walk in this attitude of love and forgiveness and surrender and accepting your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for that. And give us that assurance until we meet again where we continue to talk about what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen.